We ask you to move into this room and sit beside us, move in between us, God, move about the aisles. We ask you to just fill this place. We ask you to assign angels at the corners. We ask that you'd line the angels so thick they're shoulder to shoulder at the walls. We ask you to cover us in your presence and be under us with your presence. We ask, we want this to be a little place that heaven touches down. Let it be done on earth in this place as it is in heaven. We're just asking for a little, a little, a little box in here where we're just protected. God, we ask the things that you have bound in heaven be bound here on earth. Confusion and misunderstanding and emotions that are uh, out of control and just, just things stirring in us that those things that you've bound like fear, we ask those to be bound in heaven, at, on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we know you loosed on earth, excuse me, we know you loosed in heaven things like wisdom and hope and, and insight and inspiration and Miracles, And so, God, we also ask that those things you've loosed in heaven would be loosed here on earth. We just ask for miracles in this room. We're asking it for our finances, God. We ask it for our mindset. We want to get strong and powerful. We want to be simple and pure and devoted. We want to have all of this. We don't want to have um, our, our misalignments in our heart and mind postpone where we're trying to reach. It won't prevent us, but it will postpone us, God. And we ask that those things would be removed so we could get back on track and get where we need to be on time. Lord, I ask you to bless our time. You don't live in time, but we do, God. So we ask that you would set our time, set our foot to the task, God. We know that you have dreamed things about us. You've dreamed, you have a destiny you imagined. The Bible says we would be stewards of your secrets. So we ask that we would learn how to steward your secrets. How you hear what you're saying and do it. Yeah. And so, God, we dedicate our time. You know, we've got most of today. We just lay that out. We unroll it like a carpet. We just unroll it in front of us and we ask you to bless it. We pray forward into this week or into this day, Lord. We sow today with clarity and understanding, and hope, and expectation. We pray for enthusiasm. We pray for victories. We pray for miracles. We pray for breakthroughs. We pray for bound debt, that it would be broken away from us. We pray that surprises would come to pray to pay off debt. We pray that our assets would grow and our net worth would climb. We're asking that. We sow to this day with those prayers and ask that they carry us forward. Into, into years to come. We ask for this, God. In fact, we ask it for the rest of our years and the years of our children. So we're asking for generations now. And you know, there's just no limit to the seed that you have, God. So we ask for that. We ask for it for generations ahead. Whether we have natural children or just friends around us and people that we love on and we are like their spiritual parents. We ask for this, God. We ask for this... this, this uh, movement that's happening to grow. We're asking it for it to increase and grow and grow. We're asking that your kingdom would come on this in this time on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this believing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, that's...
If that all happens, we're done. Huh? Come on. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There's so much hope. Man, the, I, the hope. I can't get off on this because um, i got a preach coming up, and I don't want to preach it now because I'm still processing, but I just, I, this thing of hope is just, I can't get rid of it. It's like there's a vacuum of hope in the church, and, and we're the children of hope. So it's an interesting paradox. But, um, yeah, so let's not be afraid to hope. But that's another subject, and I better leave that alone. I have, uh, does everyone have your handouts, the package handouts that I gave out last night? We don't have those. There's a few missing. So Donna will come around. Raise your hand if you didn't get it last night. What I'm hoping you'll do is have those forms from last night. And in there, on the top of the pile now, should be a thing called survey number two. And it looks like this. It says Appendix E, survey number two. And like yesterday, I'm getting a little pulse on the class. And uh, just real quickly, I'd like you to take two minutes. So this will go very quickly, but I would like you to fill it out. And remember the names, forget the names. I don't need the names. I'm just getting a kind of a mapping on where, how yesterday went. And so get ready to do that. Does everybody have pens? Everybody's good? Ready, set, go. Need a pen? Oh. Okay. So, so what what's happening is if somebody is a couple sharing one form, if you want an extra set, it looks like we have enough extras. So if you want an extra set, raise your hand. That's good. So you can actually sell these on eBay and make money. <laughs> especially if they're filled out with your social security number. <laughs> I was just listening to, keep going, keep going, that's important, this is not. I just think, heard a message about, was it Target? One of these companies lost all those social security numbers. Yeah, during Christmas time, it's over now. Who? Neiman, I did hear that, Neiman Marcus, yeah. They got, they got addresses, phone numbers. The whole enchilada, social security numbers. Yeah, the Obama, yeah, the, sadly the website, Obamacare website got hacked. Yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> but the rumor is the number there was very small. The number with Target was massive. Yeah. So you know what they do? I don't know if it was that many. Of Target? Hundred and ten. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, there's uh there's um can I just blab for a minute? Are you guys working on feverishly on your surveys? Because I'm not talking about anything important, I'm just goofing around. Um I've got this hunch that we're um I have to be, oh my, do I want to do this? I've got this hunch that there's, a, there's, a, there's some really interesting dynamics going on in the, mark, in the financial realm. And uh, 
One of them is this problem with Target, for example, where all of our ID identities were stolen. Now, you see, for them to get our credit card information and start buying stuff on our credit card, that's dangerous. But what's really dangerous is if they, get, if they can get enough information to steal our identity. And that's really a problem. So, and that possibly happened. We don't know. But, um, by the way, I don't lose sleep over that. Do you guys lose sleep over that? I don't even think about it. It's like I just lay myself in God's hands, and, and no matter what happens, it's, I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So if you're, if you're worrying about that stuff, I just speak peace to that. I just say, I command shalom in Jesus' name. Yeah, there's, in the Bible, it has a commanded blessing. So we command a blessing. Do you know that the commanded blessing, that phrase, is attached to a storehouse? Savings. Yeah, net worth. Yeah, that's a side thing. But anyway, what's interesting is, is speculating. See, I'm on a hunt. This is kind of on our question list from the very beginning of last yesterday. Um, let's see. Which one am I picking on? Creating wealth. Is it? You think that beard will hold that? We'll make it. I know. I got it pretty short because I was shaving. This is a true story, a sad but true story. Yesterday I was shaving and I had it on the wrong setting. So I'm extra cold up here right now. <laughs> I hate that. But see, you don't catch it until the whole side is gone. And it's like, oh, shoot, bye-bye. You know, my little friends, bye my little friends. So, sad. There's not a lot of those. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm... See, you get all sorts of information when you have me down here. Creating kingdom wealth. Okay, well, I'm just going to hit this one really fast. And uh, I have to because there's a ton of information. But I love rabbit trails. I do. I just do. I'm sorry. I just do. Okay. Read the manual. It's all in there. Okay. I know. I, this, is a, this is what I think is going on. You see, uh, I I'm a, study a little bit of history, and there's a fascinating human story in Jane, uh, John D. Rockefeller. Now, when I first heard about John D. Rockefeller, I had this paradigm of who he was, this, this um, greedy monopolist. Monopolist, not the game, but someone who took advantage of what was standard oil. Right? He took, he owned all, basically... All oil companies were essentially John D. Rockefeller. He had created Standard Oil, and back in the day, this is late 1800s up through early 1900s where he died, he was the richest man in the world at the time. Anyway, I started studying him, and I found out some fascinating things. The guy was a rabid believer. He was a Baptist. It's a Baptist church, right? I love the Baptists. He was a Baptist. He was back in the days when Baptists were frightening they would scare us today. And they were frightening God lovers. And he was a God lover. His dad he didn't have such a good relationship with, but his mom, he absolutely loved his mother. And he uh, started out raised by this uh, God-fearing woman to care for women. This was before it was cool. To care for blacks. This is before it was cool. And to care for children. Not, he was way before his time. So he believed that God called him to make wealth, and he believed his assignment was to help those three groups. So he's going along in his life. He's in his early 20s, probably, yeah, probably very early 20s, and he decides he's going to become a bookkeeper. So he gets in this job as a bookkeeper, and he learns 
you know, back in those days, it was all pen or pencil and ledger sheets. And so he's just, he's just expert at it. And he, he gets promoted. And in this process, as he's getting promoted, he begins to learn about business. He's working for some guy in a um, harbor, and a harbor master, and he's just tracking all of the ins and outs. And he really starts succeeding, and this guy begins to promote him, and he sees an opportunity. He sees it because he's just hanging around. It's very much like what's in this room, that entrepreneurial spirit. He kind of sniffs it. It kind of hits him by accident. And he's kind of thinking, I wonder if I should do this thing. I don't remember what his first venture was, but it was relatively successful, but it was tiny. Well, one day, he's, this thing is developing in him, and he, he, um, he hears, he gets this idea. He, he learns that back then, out of the ground, this black stuff's oozing back then. Now, this is before, this is way back, 1800s. And this goo, this raw crude oil, is leaching out of the mountains. Nobody knows what they use it for. So what they do is they scoop it up, put it in bottles, and they use it as like medicine. Yeah, they would... They, you've heard of a snake oil salesman? Well, John D's dad was one. And he would go around and package these up in bottles and other things, and go around and sell medicinal herbs and things to people. And one of the treatments is they would take raw crude oil and take it for like probably, you know... Good for your pancreas. Nobody even knows what a pancreas is because there was no, there was no uh, medical industry back then like we know today. So Rockefeller sees this crude and he goes, he, he, he learns, he, someone else has started doing this. They refine the crude oil and out of it comes two products. Uh, lamp oil, kerosene, and then there's this third thing that they don't know what to do with called gasoline and so they don't they don't know what to do with this stuff so they just kind of pour it out on the ground and use the other two well rockefeller sees this and he goes he goes wow if we could start making a lot more lamp oil we could we could have lamps in every house so that people and his thought is people would learn to read huh and he says you know who would learn to read are women Blacks and children. So Rockefeller gets into the petroleum industry before there are cars. This is the timeline. Just get a perspective. There's this idea in a book called, I think it's called Tipping Point, where I forget who, it was Malcolm Gladwell, I believe, said this, that you've got to get in front of the puck. Does anybody remember that? Am I right? Is it Gladwell that said that? You've got to skate to where the puck is going to be in hockey. It moves so fast, you don't follow the puck or you're never going to get there. So when you see the puck coming this way, you skate over here so that when it arrives, you're in place, right? So Rockefeller beats the puck to this idea. And he develops what eventually became standard oil. See, so what happens is, Gasoline was such a waste product. They would pour it out on the ground. They would pour it into rivers. They would pour it into lakes. It was so bad in Pennsylvania at the time. It's, this is a, a true account. That, that Back then they had steamships, those old coal-driven paddle wheels like Mark Twain. And um, they, would, they would shovel coal and to feed the engines. They would take these. If they threw a hot coals into the water, it would burn. It was so polluted. 
because they didn't have any reason to use gasoline. They would just pour it. Pour it on the ground. It was so dangerous that entire towns where they did refining would blow up from time to time. Just <laughs> incinerate the whole town. Someone would walk into town. <laughs> gone. Everybody dead. Just really happened. So here's Rockefeller. And he, his life goes on. It's fascinating, fascinating. He's not the guy that we've been told, and there's, it explains how that happened in the book. That's not the matter of today. What's fascinating is Rockefeller saw the puck and got in front of it. That's all he did. You see, because what was emerging was a new industry, a whole new economy. We call it now, looking back, we say, that's the industrial age. There's been another, that age has kind of ended. There's a new age started. That was the information age. Who are the giants of the information age? Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Michael Dell. These guys that we look at that became giants, giant entrepreneurs or some of the wealthiest men in the world. In fact, John D. just recently got knocked off the list of the richest men in the world. You can imagine that. Not, I think 10 years ago or so. So fascinating stuff. But all these guys were ahead of the puck. They were, somehow they recognized, probably by accident, maybe by Holy Spirit, I think, for our case, it'll be Holy Spirit. If we can get ahead of the next, the next economic shift, that's how, that's how wealth is mounted. And I think it's happening right now. And I think this target thing is part of it. You see, there's, uh, you see, the industrial age has closed and it became the information age. The information age has closed and it's become the conceptual age. That's a line I stole from another book. I'll give the author credit because he's brilliant. Mike, Michael Pink. Michael Pink, like the color. Michael Pink. Michael? Daniel Pink. There it is. Michael didn't sound right. Daniel Pink. A Whole New Mind is the name of the book. Probably been out about 12 years or so. Terrific book. Anyway, uh, he says that we've moved into the conceptual age. Because the information age is kind of over because everybody can get information. And I can prove that by going online and Google any word you want. Anything you can think of. Badgers. Ten bazillion hits. Everything and more you ever want to know about badgers. What else? How about lilies? So information. How about brain surgery? So where's it going next? Well, you... You have to have the, the season or the age of meaning. That's where you come along and say, well, you've got to make all that information make sense. And this is tapped in this book, A Whole New Mind. In fact, he goes on to say, and to my knowledge, he's not a believer. That author goes on to say that a person, um, that, that the first world nations, it's interesting, we saw that one. First world problems, is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, the first world problem uh, nations are uh, they're, the people are empty and wanting a reason for all their stuff. They're kind of done with accumulating. So what do I do with all this stuff? I've got to have a reason to live. And out of it springs searches for meaning, and that's why you end up with, um, you know, veterinarial care for dogs and um, I think just all these random things we come into you know hair transplants for pets and 
Um, which I think is a waste of hair, personally. But, <laughs> but you know, but other things, there are other groups vying to fill the meaning, that, that void that's running around in humanity. This is totally related to what we're talking about. So we're not on a, not on a giant rabbit trail. What's happening is groups like Islam says, I can give your sons meaning. I was reading the headline today about the Taliban blew up some more people over in Cabal. And I think, wow. You know, they, those people that have strapped bombs on themselves and go in and, you know, they, they have a sense of meaning. So that meaning is so needed. We have to have a purpose. And we will do many, many crazy things to get it. Homosexual agenda, you know, liberal, the whole, the whole thing. There's so many things. Everyone is vying to fill that void. So in humanity, I believe, mostly in the first world nations. Because the third world nation is just trying to get their stomach full of food. They're just trying to stay, stay alive till tomorrow. So they're not worried about, you know, first world problems. They're worried about eating. But the first world guys are running around saying, I don't know why I'm alive. And so this is, this is exactly on track. We need to know why we're mounting wealth. You, if you can attach your creation of money, your efforts, your self-denial, your perseverance, your, um, your strategies for building your altitude based on yesterday's conversation, if, you're, if, if you attach all of those things to a purpose, and this is why we started yesterday, to something, capital S, or someone, capital S, larger than yourself, it'll, it'll pull you along. You'll, you'll make amazing choices. You'll, you'll be ferocious. You'll be undeterred. Even when things get a little hard, and they might get really hard. I'm not saying they will. I'm not, I'm not alluding to anything in that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, attach your life to something on purpose and make your money serve you. Make your money serve that. Your money is a great servant. It's a slave. You know that? Money was designed to be a slave. It's a perfect slave. If you put money to work, it will, it will work uncomplainedly, have babies, and the babies will go to work. It's like the perfect slaves. Yes, ma'am. you got to attach your life to some purpose. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I sit and pray, and, you know, my prayer times look really quiet. I, um, I don't say that's right, I, or, you know, I'm not saying that's how to do it. I'm just saying they used to be really loud, and now they're really quiet. They used to be really loud because I, I, had, I was based, my motive was fear. I'm just being honest. This is another message I have that I don't, want to share here, but it's called, what is it called, babe? Do you remember? Shirtless. Yeah, shirtless in my offering. And yeah, it's back there if you care to hear it. But what it's about is um, I, uh, I, was, I was in prayer one time, many times, and I was in prayer for years, put it that way, and uh, would go to the Lord with petition prayer, like, God, I need this, I need that. And you know that that's in the Bible, that's right. In fact, when you're in trouble, that's what you do. If anyone in here is in trouble in their finances, you just keep crying out. Just keep doing it. That's good. 
But one day the Lord asked me uh, to be quiet in this certain way, just in, in his way. He said, now be quiet and listen. And I was no good at it. And, and I kept practicing being quiet, and I couldn't. I kept talking, and he kept silencing me. And finally he said, you know, there's three motives in a man's heart. Fear, love, and selfish ambition. And the seat, depending on which seat you're sitting on, will depend on the sounds that come out of your mouth. It will define or direct or point the sounds coming out of your mouth. And I spent most of my life sitting on the seat of fear. And, and in the fear, all my prayers are, God, help my children. And it's really motivated by fear that they're going to be harmed. God, help my finances. Because it's really motivated by fear that I'm going to run out of money. You know what I mean? So uh, that's just me. I'm not saying you. I'm saying me. And God was saying, now I want you to move from fear to the seat of love. And pray from seat of love. And how it sounds is different. Because I still pray for my sons, but my prayer isn't, I'm afraid for them. It's, man, I love, I love them. And my, and my prayers got different. And what's weird is my prayers got really quiet. And I also have this problem of sitting on the seat of ambition, selfish ambition. It was interesting. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, be sure it's, when you teach it, be sure to say selfish ambition and not ambition. Because I think ambition is too broad, and there is a, I think there can be a holy ambition. I think Paul had it when he talks about, in Acts 20, verses 20 through 22, or something like that, I forget the address, but it's Acts 20, and he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what lays before me, but I am, and even though the Holy Spirit gives me, bears witness with me in every place, that there's going to be trials and tribulations, and yet I press on toward the mark. I will not be turned away. And it's just this powerful thing. He had this ambition to finish the race. So I feel like the Holy Spirit says, be sure you talk and think in terms of selfish ambition. What do I want? And so my prayers, God make me rich, come out different when I'm on selfish ambition than when I'm on love, make me rich, comes out different. It's like, yeah, I want to be a Solomon, an Abraham, a Boaz, a job you know so that's to answer that thing it's like for me it's like figuring out what's my motive i man this is really prosperous soul product con content and you guys supposedly have gone through that uh some of you might be new but if you want to go back there's manuals and jazz you can listen and all that but that's what's going on is i am convinced man if i could convey, convey anything I can give you tools and stuff on how to make wealth, and we'll do it today, uh, pieces of that, and how to gain altitude with your net worth, and how to turn your life around and do all this stuff financially. But if I engineer a bunch of strength in people that are either sitting on the fear seat or on the selfish ambition seat, well, the fear seat's going to create hyper-poverty mentality people with just a big shovel that can just dig faster. You know what I mean? And if I give that information to a bunch of people in selfish ambition, I've just created a mammon monster. And Lord knows there's so much greed in the world for ourselves. Take it for ourselves. You know, there's just, there's just, we, we have plenty of those on the shelf. We don't need more of those kinds of people. So, you know, I, I, 
I can't help, every time I teach finances, I can't help but slip off into this content because um, I guess because the numbers are so natural to me, but what's not natural, what I think is supernatural is this concept of sitting on the seat of love, hearing from Father God, and he tells us what he wants us to do. Now, we spent quite a bit of time yesterday, especially some of the great questions that came out, uh, talking about um, what decisions do we make. We got really specific. It's like we came from 10,000 feet down to, we were on the, we were touching, our wheels were touching the, the ground. We're like, what do I do when I don't have enough money to pay my health insurance? You know, that's a, that's a really specific tactical question. What do I do? And uh, I just need to mention this because Donna, uh, my, my conscience and wise counselor on the way home last night said, make sure those people don't confuse what you said. I'm not supporting specifically us getting or of not having health insurance. That subject came up and I was trying to make a point. Well, some people make decisions out of priority not to have health insurance. But I'm not telling you to not have health insurance. I'm telling you, hear from Papa with your buns on the seat of love <laughs> as best you can. I got to tell you, it's hard to keep them there. It is hard. It's like... And you're over here on, you're over here on fear. It's like, how did I get over here? And so, so that is, that is the lesson, man. What? Um, let me go a little further. But if, if you can go, uh, if you can hear and listen to Papa, and he'll give you assignments. Oh, do that. That's game over. That's done. You, that's live life that way. Period. The whole seminar is over. Because, you know, it happens this way. Um, this kind of fits into a story later on, but I'll just hit the highlight and then I'll build the details later. Donna and I end up with a house with a first and a second mortgage. The second mortgage was used to invest in something. And we borrowed it at 6% and we invested it at 10 so it was like a, a strategy we were doing, right, to invest. As soon as I did that, as soon, a year later, the Holy Spirit says, now I want you to pay off your second. If you're tracking, I've borrowed a second that I'm paying 6% on, and I took that money, and I put it in an investment, and now the investment's paying me 10%, right? And it's a year after I do that, because I'm thinking, this is really smart. God, where's the next one I can build? Because I can take the... We didn't take all of our equity. We have more room. I could take another one and go put it in a different investment. That's what I'm thinking. And the Holy Spirit asked me, how much bondage are you willing to live with? And I said, well, I thought, I thought you said I could borrow that. You gave me permission to do that. I had permission to do that. And he never reneged on that. He just said, he just said, you know, Borrowing isn't sin, but it is bondage. How much of that do you want? He asked me that before I did the next investment. And my answer, my answer, I'm not telling you this to do. I'm telling you this is what I did. I said, well, I don't really want bondage. I don't know what that consequences of that 
statement are, but I think I better start paying down that second. So this is us hearing the Holy Spirit and like blind men stumbling through something because at the time, every investor, every investment magazine, every television show was saying, borrow out your money and put it to work. In real estate, this is where it was. It was in commercial real estate. Do that because real estate never goes down. So I was totally swimming against. So I'm thinking, this is stupid. In fact, I'm embarrassed to tell my friends about it. I really am. I'm like, I am not standing up front saying, do this because God said. I'm like, oh, great. Well, babe, let's go. So we're just in agreement. We're paying down our debt. We get the thing paid down. The second gets paid off. And there's a story behind that that's miraculous. But we get that paid off. Thank you, Jesus. In a short amount of time, it was, it was miraculous. It was pretty fun. And uh, that whole story resides as a key component of this course. So I'll try to get to the rest of that fact later. But when it all gets paid down, our second is paid down. We only have a first on our house. The market is way high. We have miles of untapped equity. And 2008 comes and the housing market slumps. And the the housing bubble bursts, and our $350,000 house falls to, let's say, 200000 And if we'd have had that second mortgage, we would have been upside down just like that. And I'm telling you, that was not wisdom. That was us stumbling along, and Holy Spirit gave us a directive years in advance. You understand, it took us years to pay it off. And so we paid it off, and then it bursts. And I'm sleeping like a baby at night because we have, we have blue sky above our mortgage. Does that make sense? If you're not understanding, um, we can chat maybe afterwards. But it's really simple. It's like a glass of water. Here's a clear glass. This is my house. The top of the glass is worth $300,000. And in it, I have it half full of water. And the water represents my borrowed money. So all the space that isn't full of water, that's my equity. Right? In fact, this totally fits, so I'm going to go for it. Here's my house, and I'm going to say $300,000. And my mortgage was, let's say, $200,000. So there's, on just those, I have $100,000 of net worth, don't I? That's that space above the water and the glass. So the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to pay this thing down. I said, yes, sir. So we went after it, and I'm gonna. It wasn't these size of numbers, but I'm just gonna illustrate. He said, "Pay off a hundred thousand." The actual number was eighty, so it was a big old chunk, way more than we could afford to do. But supernaturally, and just, but you know, supernatural creeps up on you because it's just it comes down to just like really making hard choices, like just kind of like oh crud, we can't really have. I'll tell you, we really can't have that. Bigger house. Because back then, everyone was buying bigger houses. And you roll out of your existing house, and you make it a rental, and you go buy your next one. That's what was going on back in 2006 and seven and eight. And our, frankly, our friends are doing that. And we're like, nah, let's not do that. In fact, it's kind of like, this is a pot, not the kind that burns. I'm, see, I'm Northern California, so I've got to clarify that. And um, Steve and Donna were growing inside the pot. And 
back when we were kids, younger or just early young marrieds, we we had to we were living on the income statement to use some information from last night. We were living on the income statement. How much income was coming is how much we had to spend. And so it was like a pot with a plant in it. And that plant, you know how this goes, how the plant kind of grows and grows and then its roots begin to bump the edge and then it kind of gets root bound, doesn't it? It kind of gets to the maximum. And pretty soon the plant is under stress, isn't it? I've seen plants so root bound you have to break the pot to get the plant to transplant because you can't get the plant out of the pot, right? Because the plant is just, and it's, and it's suffering. And this was us every year. It's like continually we were like, we, don't have, we need more, we need more. We need more what? Income. Because we, our life is just right at the cap. It's just like we're root bound. And then what would happen? God would repot us because we're praying. Remember your petition prayer? Seed of fear? God still loves us and still listening. I need, I need, I need. And guess what? He goes, all right, here's a raise. <sighs> we get a new pot. It got bigger, and all of a sudden our roots had space. So we start growing again. We start growing out. And it took us maybe a year or maybe longer, but we would eventually, our new roots would bump the edge of the new pot, wouldn't it? And pretty soon, we're having the same conversation. It seemed like every year it was like, oh my gosh, tax return. Where'd all this money go? And we just, we're just packed. And so we would pray and God would repot us. And every time he would repot us, the pot would get bigger. Does that make sense? And so what we would do is grow into it. We would just get our bigger, bigger plant. What I mean is we'd buy better cars. We'd buy maybe two cars. We'd buy maybe three cars. Oh, and I had a motorcycle. Then I have to confess, I have four. God forgive me. I can't help myself. It's like, must buy motorcycles. Okay, it's a problem. I'll work it out. Get off my back. Donna's nodding her head. Easy girl. It is a problem. I'll have to, I have to fix that. Yeah. But that's another story, okay? This is my conference. You leave me alone. <laughs> I'm totally teasing. She lets me have my stuff. But it's, anyway, we, um, we kept growing and growing and growing. And it was around this time that I'm talking about where I was, I'm figuring out this seed of love thing and I'm learning how to listen and get our assignment on something that God says. And you know what? He's not that interested in motorcycles, sadly, uh, or cars or bigger houses. He's not like, God isn't up there wringing his hands like, gosh, I hope these guys live in a tent and put all their money toward the poor in Mozambique. I mean, he, if, if he calls you to that, that's a different matter. And some he does. You know, some people are called to an ascetic lifestyle, it's called, where you live. You know who, the, probably the most popular one in our day was Mother Teresa. The woman was unbelievable. Taking a vow of poverty. She was a rock star. There's lots and lots of people like this. Thank God for them. But you know what? Those people need someone else on the other side of that. The ascetic has to have somebody providing them financial strength because the ascetic is not in themselves financially strong. They didn't create an economic motor that funds their life. They have a long, people come alongside and go, wow, let me, let me write you a check. 
And the people that I'm most aware of around that are Tracy Evans, Heidi, Heidi Baker, um, on and on. There's just, there's, there's people all around like that. But my particular calling, I feel, for now, we'll see what Papa says, is I want you to mount well. I want you to pile it up and give it away to people that need it. And I'll have an army of people ready to burn that money better than I can. Really. I mean, you put little milk mustaches on the, the youngest in Mozambique, that's a pretty great thing. That's pretty amazing. Tracy Evans. And so, you know, but, but Tracy doesn't make money. But I can. So it's like, ah, I start figuring out my purpose. And sitting on a seat of love, I'm like, I can get pretty ferocious about that. In fact, I can, like, not have, you know, my, my $14 coffees four times a day. I don't even like coffee that much. I could bathe in that much. That's a lot of coffee. I don't need that. In fact, I don't even like it. In fact, I hate coffee, to be honest. I like the smell. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So let me get back. That was a bona fide rabbit trail. Okay. Just so you know, we're back. Um, and so, so this idea of assignment and what I'm doing gives me gives me power, makes me powerful in my decision-making. I, you know, see, I'm sitting, imagine now, I am five years ago, and I don't have clarity on what God has assigned me to in my finances, or maybe 10 years, I don't know. Just at some point in life, imagine a person like myself with no connection to why I'm making money. But I'm a believer, and I love God, and I've been taught to be generous. So I'm sitting in a service, and imagine I'm up at Bethel, because we're here, but I know Bethel better. So imagine you're sitting in Bethel, and up comes my friend Tracy Evans. Or, let's go better, Heidi Baker, who people more know. Heidi Baker, and I know her personally. She's amazing. She's amazing. Okay, so this is not about Heidi. This is just about me sitting in a congregation, but I'm not connected to a reason why I have wealth is my point. And so here's Heidi. She stands up and she says, hey, we're going to, we need, um, we need to dig 10 more wells and we need five tractors or whatever it is. And I'm sitting there and let's say I've got a bunch of money and I think, oh, I'm going to give to that. I knee jerk reaction, give. Because all I know is I'm supposed to, money is supposed to leave me somehow because that kind of that kind of washes me. It kind of makes my heart feel better. Like, God, what am I supposed to do with all this money? I feel kind of guilty. Oh, here's, I'll give it to her. And so you're kind of like Johnny Appleseed. You're just kind of throwing seed around. You remember Johnny Appleseed? Is that too old? You're just kind of <laughs> casting seed, right? You're just kind of throwing it around. And then the next week, because we're Bethel Church and we have a lot of guests and stuff, here's next week, another big person comes through. And I can't think who it is, but let's say they stand up there. And they're doing something, coffee shops in uh, Jordan. Oh. And uh, I'll give them money because they must be good because Bill Johnson let them have the pulpit. Right? I don't know who this guy is. A week later, it happens again. Uh, Okay, I'll throw some money at that. And we... We, you see the pattern developing? I, there's no intentionality. It's more of a guilt offering, which is in the Bible, but 
that is clearly Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Some things did get through the cross. Some didn't. That one didn't. Or it wasn't supposed to. But we, we kind of do this. So now let's zoom forward. And now I'm sitting. And now some things have happened. I'm learning about the three seats. I'm learning how to sit on a seat of love. I'm learning to chill and rest. My orphan gap is closing. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm relating to a father. I'm realizing how ridiculous it was for me to keep that distance and how safe he is and how wise he is and how much he cares about me in fact he's like i need you steve i need you on this planet doing this thing you need me yeah yeah he didn't make you by accident you aren't a biological mistake god intended you to be here and he he's you know i could see him looking you in the eye and going i i really need you I need you to do this. This is part of my idea, my dream. We're stewards of mysteries, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Servants of Christ and stewards of mysteries, God's secrets. So he's saying this thing, and so I'm going, spending time in his face, and he's talking to me about it, things. And by the way, when God talks to me, sometimes it's audible. Most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's complete silence. I don't hear a thing. I sit there. Last two days in the morning when I shower, I'm just sitting in the tub. Sorry for the visual. I don't mean that. <laughs> yeah. I did, you know, whatever. I'm in my, I'm in my clothes. <laughs> Let's not take ourselves too seriously, right? Anyway, I'm sitting in my clothes in the tub. And the shower's running, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just listening. I'm thinking, what are you saying, Papa? And I don't know not really hearing anything anything you want to tell me something if i slip over on the seat of fear i'll start getting nervous and start talking and he'll say shut up he didn't say that he'll say Hoop. he does this he puts his hands on my lips and says, Shh. get back on the love oh if i start thinking agitated, selfish, ambitious. If I get over here, I'm like, you know what I want to see, God? Blah, 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 blah. Entitlement, demanding. He'll like, shh, shh. We're practicing, Steve. Get back over here. Okay, okay. So I listen. So this is my prayer. And then when I'm done, I don't hear a thing. This happens most of the time. I'm honest. I've been doing this for years now. Most of the time, it's nothing. I walk out of the shower, and more often than not, I'll say often, not more often than not, but often, I'll be like combing my hair in front of the mirror. And I'll realize, I'll realize, oh, I just learned something. I, I, I don't know how it happened, but I heard, I, you know what? And Donna will go, she's usually in bed at this point, and, she, and I'll walk out of the bathroom and she'll go, what'd you hear? Sometimes it's like nothing. Sometimes it's like, I just learned something, I, I just figured something out. Is, I, I don't know how that happens. I don't know if he's talking to my spirit or my spirit's... Or I don't know. But it doesn't always... Rarely comes in audibly. Sometimes he has to like, Hey, stupid! But most of the time it's just like, All of a sudden I know stuff. Okay. And so it was like I knew, Oh, oh, I've got to, uh, I've got to pay down that debt. And that's what we got. And so this is how you get led. This is in the spirit. This is how you're led. And... Um, I think that's, that's the whole game. 
I think that's, that's what a great, I'm thinking, what a great way to finish my life, living like that. Having daddy tell me things and me try, to, try my best. And I think dad just leans in and says, you know, that's really good. It's like the little boy that draws a pony. And you're like, is that an umbrella? What? No, dad, it's a pony. <laughs> that's a beautiful pony, right? That is an amazing pony. That is beautiful. And I, and I see that our relationship with Papa is the same way. And I do want to go somewhere, but let's answer this question. Four, verse one. That we would be known as servants of Christ and stewards of his mysteries. Amazing. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I didn't, and thank you for bringing me back. There's two things I want to get back to, so you guys can help me. The Johnny Appleseed idea and the puck idea and the economics, okay? Yeah, so now I'm sitting in church, and I've got this thing going on that I'm practicing. I'm listening, and he says something to me. To me, He says, I want you to silo wealth. I want you to silo and mount it up, and you're going to be like Joseph, and you're going to execute Genesis 50-20. Genesis 50-20 is the verse that says what... Joseph says, what you meant for evil, brothers, God meant for good in order to preserve many lives as it is today. And so the preserve many lives has captured me. So I feel like God's saying, mount up some money and get ready to help. Oh, by the way, don't, don't leap where we don't need to leap. I'm not saying there's a hard end of the world's coming. or any, I, I don't even, I'm not even looking out there. I'm just listening. The opposite is mounted up, so I'm going to do my best. So now I'm sitting in my service, and here comes Heidi Baker again. Only this time she says, we're doing this thing. We're, we're digging wells or we're planting whatever, and, and I'm just like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And then comes the offering time, time to take an offering. And I see it as, oh, that's corn, and I'm planting beans. You see what I mean by that? There's a certain thing, if I put, if I sow my money into Tracy, that's a certain kind of seed. And is that what God asked me to plant? I'm, I'm checking. I'm like, Lord, you want me to do that? Is that, were, were you telling me corn? Because if that's corn, it's going in. That's what I'm here to do, is plant corn, let's say. And she goes, and, and, and usually, not usually, off sometimes, I'll go, I don't think that's corn. So, brace yourselves, I will say no to an offering. Isn't that funny that we've got to like creep, sneak up on that thing like a spy? Because we're so, you know, have you ever heard anyone say, I say no to offerings? Now, I don't say no to all offerings. I just say no to corn offerings because I'm a bean planter. And in the room is filled with corn planters. And their corn seed comes in. And Heidi goes off with a nice healthy offering and goes puts water in. But I'm a bean planter. And maybe the next week, somebody who's asking for bean seed comes and I'm like, maybe that's it right there. Yep. And um, to be honest, sometimes I go, no, no, I'm not going to put any money in this one. I think that's corn. And as I drive home, the Holy Spirit says, hey, um, that was beans. And I go, Oh, but you know that that's not a punishment. That's a direction. It's like, 
okay, Daddy, I'm going to fix that. And so when I get, you know, get home, I write a check and fix that. So, you know, don't be afraid. In fact, expect it. Daddy is going to direct us around. And the closer you get, he's doing that. He's like, bean, corn, corn, bean, bean, bean. Yep, that's another bean. Okay, okay, bean, bean, bean. So the way, uh, the way I articulate or demonstrate that idea is, is where we're going to head this afternoon or this morning about the income statement, the, in, the living, giving, saving model. Okay? So we are going to, on point, I'm going to demonstrate how that looks mechanically in our home. And if you adopt it, how it becomes a three-line plan, not budget, but a plan to get where you're going. That's how it segues with last night. You know, I did say I wanted to finish the get in front of the puck. I talked way longer than I expected. I'm sorry. I'm so, I, I hope, I, I apologize to anyone that I'm irritating. I'm sorry. Um, uh, get in front of the puck. I was telling you about John D. and the Industrial Revolution, about Bill Gates and the Information Age. Well, there's another one coming. And I think it's going to be uh, around some certain areas. I'm not a financial advisor, so I can't give you, even if I had any ideas, I wouldn't tell you where to put it because it's against the law for me to do that. But you know what I think is coming? I think, I think there's going to be interesting mega shifts in the green industry. Green, you know, green, like don't pollute our planet. We only get one of those. So we don't want to wreck this. We are actually supposed to steward this planet. We should be the leaders of this. Okay. So I think the green industry is going to be a big deal. I think the aging of America is going to be stunning. That'll take you into the healthcare world and some of those kinds of things. I think I think video conferencing. The aging of America. The baby boom generation is fascinating to study. It's called demographics. And uh, for example. Here's an illustration. This is a chart, tiny. Hope you can see it. And uh, basically, if you look at the baby boom, if I were to try to draw it kind of in scale, it's like a big hump of people. And in 2012, if I put a date here, in 2012, the the, the teeter-totter shifted and more baby boom generation were on the old side than the young side. Does that make sense? More people were on the that side of the baby boom generation than were on the getting older side. That, that didn't make sense. Then we're on the... So, okay, you know what a bell curve is? <laughs> Obviously, the peak of the bell curve finally passed the midpoint in 2012. There I did it. Oh, oh I can say this. So that's a really interesting dynamic. But if you look at the scale of American baby boomers, are this massive hump, and there's this little bump that is not much out of scale from what I just drew. It's kind of hard to see where you're at, but illustrate. The Gen, Gen X is this little hump, and baby boomers is this glut of bodies. So there's some fascinating things that go with that. What happens when all of us, baby boomers, of which I'm one, get to the point where we start taking money out of our retirement plans to live on. Because that's what a retirement plan is. One of these days, we, right now, 
a bunch of the baby boomers have been shoving money into these things called 401ks. We've been buying shares of 401k. We've been stashing money for the last 15, 20 years. And we did it in our highest earnings years. Right? I could talk for hours on a subject. But let's just try to stay on the surface. So for 20-ish years, we've been just been packing money. It's the biggest mounting of wealth in the history of the planet has been happening in the United States over the last 20 years. You realize that? It, the, the scales are phenomenal, what's going on. But in 2012, that shifted theoretically. Eventually, more baby boomers will be selling those shares to eat than putting money away. So the shift will happen at some point. Supply and demand is going to shift. What's going to happen is all these baby boomers aren't going to demand it as much. They're going to want to get it out. They're going to want to sell it. And the way you get out of a 401k is you sell your shares to whom? Either these guys on the end of the boom generation or this little teeny pimple of investors called the Gen X group, right? So when demand is low and supply is high, what happens? It forces price down, doesn't it? Old Adam Smith had it right. Do you know that he's a believer? Do you know that he wrote that thesis in 1776? The year America was... He was a Scot. The year America was founded, he came out with this book, The Wealth of Nations. Do you think this is all accident? So, fascinating stuff. As this baby boom generation ages, and we start getting rid of 401k, we're going to get rid of it. They don't just like vaporize out of the air. What happens is I have to sell it to you young guys out here, you young girls, and you are wanting to stash money, so you're buying my shares, and that's how I get the money for it. Well, when, nobody, when there's not enough buyers for all of our old guys trying to sell our stuff, the price begins to fall. And pretty soon as the price begins to fall, us old guys go, hey, I can't afford to have that price fall. I'm going to sell all my shares and get this, try to get my little nest egg out before it crashes. And then pretty soon, even the young guys say, well, that bites. I'm not buying into that because the price is falling. So I'm very concerned about our long-term uh, value support in 401ks. Okay? Now, there's nothing poisonous about 401ks, but what is, what is dangerous is inside of 401ks are things called mutual funds. And mutual funds are this kind of weird, I could describe it, but for time I won't. It's just, you take a whole bunch of stocks. If every chair in this room was a different stock, and we put them all in together, and then people could invest in this room for a dollar, and they would have a fractional piece of every one of these chairs. Does that make sense? That's a mutual fund. So the mutual funds, somebody outside this building could buy a share in this building and basically have a fractional component of all of these different share uh, stocks inside. And the theory is that that's safer because let's say if this stock right here is Facebook and that stock right there is Google, well, right now Facebook, well, ha happens to be going up. But Facebook, when it first came out, went... <coughs> And so if that little one goes, and this one over here, which is Google, is going, it's considered safer, right? But the problem is, outside, people buying this share for a dollar and then $10, and how, much, how many 
does it cost to get into this? That is the 401k market. That's a mutual fund market. Do you know that there's more mutual funds than there are stocks? More combinations and permutations. One mutual fund will only be those chairs. Another mutual fund will be one chair from each section. Another mutual fund will be just those chairs. So pretty soon there are literally more mutual fund combinations than there are stocks in the world period. More, anyway, so, so eventually these things, all these combinations, if what I'm describing, this, this demographic shift, begins to apply its forces on us, the price begins to fall. And you know what? I've been saving this money my whole life. And I'm like, I can't afford for it to fall, so I'm going to yank it out. That's called a run on the bank. And this mutual fund thing, mutual funds have no floor. They're a hypothetical value. How much does it really cost to buy into this collection of stocks? Do we just add up all the prices? Well, no, because it would probably cost somebody, you know, $12,000 to buy one share in a mutual fund like that. You see, so it's an artificial price. Mutual funds have no bottom. They can fall, fall right out. So I'm not a big mutual fund fan. Or I could say it this way. I'm more of a suspicious mutual fund buyer. I very carefully buy my mutual funds. And I have a bunch because I've been investing in them for a long time. It's like, I better change the profile. So this is squarely in the concept yesterday about getting ahead of the puck, but also trying to hit some of these questions that were on the board around wealth creation. See, we're on the verge of a shift in our, in our economy. And we can ask Papa for wisdom on how to get in front of the puck. And I started to tell some of those things. And I'll just finish my short list. And by, please understand, I am, I'm, a, I'm a dork ignoramus on this stuff. I'm just giving you what I've been thinking about, okay? You know, green technologies, um, the aging of America. That's how we got on this subject. I'm thinking video technologies. You know, Google Glass? Have you heard of Google Glass? Literally, I could be watching you and projecting you onto my computer screen right now on YouTube. But I don't. But anyway, so I could be, this becomes a computer. Have you heard of 3D printing? Do you know that I, I just read an article. They think that in the coming years, 3D printers will be as common as toasters. And, you know, if you break your glasses... You won't buy these anymore. You'll just go print a new pair. You don't like your plates? Print a new set. You can print, 3D printing, you can print metal, glass, ceramic. Do you know that they have 3D printing organs? You need a new kidney? Let me go print one. They're a little spendy, but... Isn't that crazy? They print it in this, this latex covering thing or something like that. And when it's all printed, then when they're re and it'll just stay in there like preserved. And when they're ready to use it, they just pour some kind of thing on it and it dissolves that covering and it's flesh. It's from you. Yeah, it's crazy. So the theory is that in the future, you know, is that disruptive technology? Wow. Imagine, you know, I need a new car. I think I'll print one. Yes, ma'am.
purchase now for like $99 and you can, you know, same idea, it'll produce this object. Oh, you draw, you draw the thing. It, right. And then it, yeah, and then you say print and it'll. Yeah. The, well, the, no, it's, yeah, from the pen. From the I pen because yeah. it's, it's tracking the, yeah. the illustration you're drawing. Right. So you can make your own yeah, little so bicycle. This isn't that, whatever. think about it, okay. I draw this on the board. What does that look like? And so I say print. And in the, I'm making this part up, but in the pen or in my file, I have memorized my prescription so it knows, oh. Awesome. I lost, a, I lost a screw. I need a new set of glasses. I just print them. That's destructive technology. But I'm telling you, a year ago at the National Technology Fair, or whatever they call it, it's in Las Vegas, they had one company represented that was doing 3D printing stuff. This year, there was 10 companies that you can invest in that are printing and providing 3D printers and products and concepts. And I, it, it's, it's, it, it might be the next petroleum industry. It might be the next standard oil. I don't know. The first guys out tend to die. You understand that? And then later, the real players. You, ever, you remember something called Yahoo? Yeah, what was that other one? AOL? Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to make a bad joke. Never mind. So fascinating stuff. One question in the back, and then I need to get going, man. I need to talk serious stuff. I'm having a ball, but you guys are going to have a... You're going to rebel and look like Frankenstein. After me with Is 401k... Something that you would say to invest in, continue to, or what would be my best way to invest for retirement then? Okay. I work for Kaiser Permanente, and we have a 401k, but as you know, healthcare industry is challenging right now, so I don't really know which way to go forward in my investing with retirement. Okay, so a 401k is a, it's a jacket. You put it around investments. Mutual funds are investments, and I can have... Mutual funds, in a, I can put a coat around it, and now it's a 401k. So the 401k itself isn't broken. It's what you put inside the 401k. You see what I mean? So you have a 401k. It's probably, they probably match contributions, and so you should do that. You want to get that free money because that helps you. But when you know those awkward meetings where you sit down with somebody that you meet once a year? And they, they take that thing called a risk analysis and they figure out, are you aggressive or conservative or what's your deal? And you're like, I'm not really sure what you're saying, but I'm aggressive when I'm mad. You know, I'm conservative with money, but I don't want to eat cat food when I'm 75 years old. So what do I do about this? And they, and they go, well, based on your profile, you need to be in these five funds. And they take your money, every dollar, and they go, and they break it into those five funds. Well, those five funds our mutual fund. And so what you've got to do is, now you can go a little smarter and go, wait a minute, let me look back at what are these funds? What are they? What are they? And you'll look at each one and you'll go, you know, oh my gosh, that one's in, one might be an international fund, probably. One's probably a really conservative, what they call a, a blue chip fund. I don't know if you've heard these phrases. Blue chip companies are just companies that are really old and boring like Del Monte or Campbell's Soup. Why do you want to invest in something old and boring? 
Because those babies have been around forever. You know what? There's a lot of tomato soup eaten in this country. <laughs> and it's going to continue because people love their tomato soup. I don't know what they do with all that tomato soup, but I can't stand it. But I'm telling you, Campbell's soup's going to be around. So when you put money in Campbell's soup, it's boring. It, the, the, the line on it on the stock market goes, right? Nothing. So what they do is they go, hey, let me make it interesting for you. And they give us a little dividend. Every quarter they'll give you a dividend. Growth com- uh, blue chip companies tend to be really old, stable guys like those and Caterpillar Tractor and all those kinds of boring things. GE and Ford and General Motors. So, but what they do to make it interesting is they give you a dividend. Well, buying a specific thing like Campbell Soup is different than buying a mutual fund that has Campbell Soup in it. Okay, that, is that good enough right there? Yeah. So I'm not against 401Ks, 403Bs, IRAs, Roth IRAs, SEPs, simple plans, all these terms. What in the heck? You know where those come from? Guys in Congress that don't have anything else to do, so they come up with acronyms. They just, you know, COBRA, you know, I can't even think of them all. They're everywhere. NAFTA, you know, Obama. No, that's different. <laughs> that was a different one. That, but we all come up with all these acronyms and stuff. And so we're out as uneducated investors. It's now in our responsibility to figure out how to do all this stuff. This is a fascinating shift that I have to stop talking about. So I'm going to. I'm going to stop talking about it. You had a question. What makes it boring is that the price doesn't change. And you see, if, if this little line here is Campbell's Soup, which I have to admit, I haven't looked at Campbell's Soup in years, so I'm not saying this is accurate. I'm just saying Campbell's Soup is Caterpillar Tractor, um, Ford, General Mills. Great example. It's kind of just the price, and I don't even know what the price is. Let's say it's $100 a share. Probably not. It's probably 25 or $30 a share. Just kind of, it's always $100 a share. It just kind of stays there. But if we look at Facebook, it starts out like this, and it's a brand new company. It goes, and then everybody goes, what is Facebook, actually? And then people go, I think that price is low. I'm going to try it again. So it starts going, you see what I mean? That's called a growth stock. It doesn't give you dividends. You're hoping that you buy it low and sell it high. You're hoping it will grow in value. That's where the growth stock comes from. Let's look at Apple. 1980, $35 a share. 2013, 500 and something dollars a share. So it looks like... Let's look at Google. $1,500 or $1,200 a share, something like that. I could look it up, but my thing's sleeping. But So growth stocks, the value is theoretically growing, so they're going to say, we don't have to give you a dividend. Your gain will come from growth. So growth stocks tend to be really volatile. Woo, riding around. Yeah, this is fun. Woo, Apple and all these things. You like that? Um, but the boring ones, the ones that don't really change in their price, have to give you a dividend. Those are called income. 
So in stocks, you have growth stocks and income stocks. All right? So what should you invest in? Well, I don't know. What's your risk and what are you trying to accomplish? And what does that stranger across the table tell you you should be doing? And does that fit your heart? And uh, you don't put all your money in theirs. You have your money spread around. And so these are all topics really on my list. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. This is the list from TV, the list yesterday. I just want to run through this. Number one is to get rid of the poverty spirit. And I feel like I answered that because I pointed you back to, in my mind, I pointed you back to the Prosperous Soul Manual. And there's a, a section in there on breaking the poverty spirit. And when I was talking to you yesterday about that gap, that brain gap, that heart gap, not a true gap. Jesus and the Father are one. So I'm not, I'm not making new theology. I'm saying I didn't get daddy. And when we close that gap, that is how you destroy and end a poverty spirit in your life. Okay, You get Papa looking you in the face and you're not afraid to be quiet on the seat of love. There, that's really an uncomfortable and difficult, I've found, difficult challenge. But that is the gospel. That is what Christ came to the planet. I've come to show you the Father. And when we close that gap and we have our identity because we understand we're accepted, that is irresistible to the world. Remember the age of meaning? The meaning is looking for purpose. And you know what they're looking for? They're looking for value. And we get our value and identity from Father God. So that is irresistible. People will be going, I so want what you have. It's not because we're super nice. Mormons are nice. You know what I mean? Those dudes in the orange, orange dress things in the, in the airports, those guys are nice. They're all really nice. But what they don't have is power. They don't have identity. And so that's irresistible. That is going to create a, a worldwide salvation. Identity in Christ is going to create an evangelism of jealousy. That's number one. Number two was wisdom and business anointing. Well, we prayed for that, so I feel like I, I released that. This isn't a business course. And again, I could bore you guys with waving my arms around the business world. It's interesting to me, and I've studied a long time. We could talk about that, but I think we need to park that one because of the content that's so thick in this one to just as a release into your finances. But really, you can run your business just like we're talking about. So the business and the way I run my business is the same way. Under the four rules of discover, rule of holes, um, become the bank, and go after debt forth. Okay, so you can apply that to your business. And the company that has done that, they didn't do it because I told them, but I uh, wish I had, Apple Computer. When you look at Apple Computer, if you look at their balance sheet, you'll see a bunch of cash, a bunch of assets, and almost no debt. To the point that they've been criticized over it. Yeah, because the world hates this stuff. The world hates stability. That's just how I see it. That's my perspective. It's contra, contrary to what the world is advising. Just like when I felt like the Holy Spirit said, pay off that debt, when everybody else is increasing their debt. I think that's what we have, and I think Apple's being rewarded for it. Uh, that's complicated. That's a sweeping statement. It's probably not even accurate, but that's that's how I think of answering this for you wisdom in your business anointing apply these same things to your little business number three was understand true meaning of a prosperous soul again i feel like i answered that because that is a, a soul 
Um, a prosperous soul is the one we, I tried to define clearly in the last series so you can refer back, but I also think it's tied to that seated in the love seat, living that. The Bible says that you would, pro- it's a prayer by John that you would prosper and be good health even as your soul prospers. So I think that prospering soul is one that has that closure of this orphan spirit, this spirit of adoption. It's Romans 8, Romans 8.15 is the verse for that. That, to me, answers number three. Number four was learn philanthropy, and this is what we've been talking about this morning and why I spent so much time on it. Because if you're going to learn philanthropy, which is, the, by the way, the science created by John D. Rockefeller, along with modern medicine, uh, I could just go on and on. The guy was amazing. He shifted the nation of America. He created as a part of others, the Industrial Revolution. Because remember I said he made lights? Well, that made it so that people could work after a dark. And the productivity of America went from agricultural age to industrial age. This is the kind of shifts that the Holy Spirit can bring, I think. Paradigm shifts that change everything. That's why I think this 3D printing thing is something I can conceptualize and think, I don't know that it's the deal, but I'm saying, wow, I can get how I could see how that could change everything. That could just really change. There's lots of things out there. Don't get all focused on Steve said 3D printing. You understand? I know hardly anything about it, right? So don't don't be sheeple. You know what sheeple is? This is also part of the content. It's a sheep and a people, and we're looking for answers and we're desperate and we don't know a lot of stuff. Let's just be honest. We don't know. I don't know a lot. There's, there's experts out there that live in towers and learn tons of stuff and their skin is really white and they never go outside. <laughs> right? But they pronounce things. And, and everybody goes, ah, and we heard like sheep. And so when you hear somebody say 3D printing, like don't sheeple out. Don't like herd around and go, ah. And go buy 3D printing. Because you don't know anything about it. You should only invest in your home field advantage. That means something you understand. And for us dense men, what that means is you have to be able to explain it to your wife. (laughs) To where she will go, I get it. I think that's a good idea. That's not saying that wives are less. And we're all knowledgeable about stuff and we have to. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying... Tap that intuition they have and listen to it. And the truth is, if you can't explain it to your wife, now it's probably the same with women to men, but I don't know about that. I just know about men to women. (laughs) When I explain it to my wife, if she goes, that doesn't make sense to me, it's because I don't understand it well enough and I've concluded I don't have the home field advantage yet. So I don't invest in it. Okay, so that's a a list out of uh, some other part. It's really kind of the stock market conversation. The learned philanthropy is the seed, corn, and bean conversation. I feel like I've answered these, so I'm trying to knock these down. So I'm going to knock down philanthropy, stock market. Joseph in business and life, I explained that when I talked about God calling me for a purpose to silo wealth. And, and, I, and I also understand there are persons on the planet that Joseph is to fund. And those persons are not called to make wealth. And one of them is my dear friend Tracy Evans, who's putting milk mustaches on little black faces. And I'm like, that's, that's, you, 
you go. Because you know what? She's more of a man than I am. I'm telling you what. Mozambique is tough. And she's right in there loving on those people. Wars going around her. It's, she's, she's amazing. Anyway, Joseph in business and in life. Know what you're aiming at and why. And go get that from Papa. Don't hear it from Pastor Brent or from Bill Johnson or from me or Danny Silk or all these giants you hear around him. Don't. Go hear it for yourself. Go listen, man. Go sit and be really quiet and do it for months until you know what God's calling you to. What's the rush? You know, let's just do that. Okay. Number seven, breakthrough in prosperity and kingdom finances. I think that is going to happen as we work through this stuff because of the mechanics. This is this material, if I get through it, will be how to how to um, engineer a break in a pattern, a defeating pattern in your life. Okay. This is what we'll spend the rest of today, this morning on, which is all of 30 minutes. (laughs) Strategy to get out of debt. That's happening this afternoon. To go on the offense. Well, before you get on the offense, you have to have a good defense. That's the course of this class. But when you go on the offense, that goes into the create wealth material, which is the stuff I'm kind of seeding heavily this morning. Okay? You don't go on the offense until you have a stout defense. To go on the offense financially generally means to, to introduce risk and reward into your life. And that's very much to me like Jaws, the movie. Getting in your boat and rowing out into the deep water trying to catch fish. But if you can go a little farther out there, you're in the food chain. You realize that? I remember diving for um, abalone. And I've got my abalone iron and i got my cool little weight belt i got my custom-made wetsuit i got my mask and snorkel and i'm out swimming me and a buddy and we were brand new at abalone and we picked this place to get in the water because it was really calm and right out there is a rock so it's like abalone's like rocks so let's go let's go to that rock and get abalone man so we're out there and we're and of course what you don't realize when you're new at this is that water is very very deceptive and that rock was about a quarter of a mile away. We didn't know this. And we're in a bay. So we're in this like dip, dip and we start out like two dorks swimming. In the ocean. Kicking. And we're looking down and the sun is shining down through. And we get into this, this field of moss. That kelp that grows out there. And it's like a tree. It's like climbing over the tops of trees, right? And you've got weight belt on. It's grabbing at your weights. You know how they stick out? It's wrapping around those and tearing and pulling at your mask and pulls your, your snorkel out of your mouth. You're throwing up and trying to, you know, it's not very elegant. And you're just, it's so thick. We're literally crawling like army men across, in the middle of this bay, across this, this pile of this kelp, bull kelp, with a big bubble on top. And we're just like, you know, we're exhausted. We look up, we're halfway there. Oh my gosh, you know, we're climbing and we're climbing. We finally get through this belt of kelp. We climb over the other side, and it's deep. Up until now, we kind of see the bottom, and now it's deep. And we're like, hmm. And I look over, and old Charlie's swimming next to me, and he's looking at me, and there we go. You know, I'm not going to act scared. Are you scared? No, I'm not scared. <laughs> so we're kicking along. And I'm looking down, and I can see in the green. The green is just like these shafts of light, and just disappears into black. And I'm thinking, 
Ain't no shark around here. Ain't no. Jesus, protect my body. You wouldn't have a shark eat me right now, would you? I have a purpose in my life, you know? <laughs> and I'm kicking and flipping. I'm swimming along, and I'm trying to, my head is going like crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I look at Charlie, and he's looking at me, and I'm like, I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. <laughs> and we're swimming a little farther. And all of a sudden, this way down in the dark, this white thing goes, Whoosh. I went, Whoosh. I mean, every hole in my body closes. Nose, ears, everything. I am on high alert. I'm like a cat. The problem is I'm in the middle of the ocean and a cat that is like 80 pounds overweight and can't move. What was that? Oh, I'll defend myself. The thing's zipping around. I'm like, I'm totally dead. I'm dead. I look at Charlie. He's like this. We're dead. We're swimming a little longer, and all of a sudden this thing goes, now it's shallower to us. It goes, whoosh, again. I'm like, I, I'm terrified. And all of a sudden the thing goes, whoosh, right into my face and leaves. And I'm like, through, I, I say a word that I can't repeat through my snorkel. So out in the middle of the ocean, the end of my snorkel goes, Just vibrates, just like that. And, and after this thing goes, my brain registers the face of a harbor seal. I'm like, <laughs> we swim, we climb up on this rock. It's, it's in the middle of a mile of sand. There's not an abalone. They don't live in the sand, it kills them. They're no abalone. We're like, we climb up on the rock. We're like uh, exhausted. Our hearts are like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, barnacles in our face. We're like, God loves me. We get up, we rest like two seals on this rock for about 45 minutes because we're sick and exhausted. And we turn around and go straight back because there's no strength, no abalone. We're lucky to be alive. My point is that is the investing world. You think you're the hunter? I heard Steve De Silva, and I know all about how to invest in 3D printing. And you go out there, and the next thing you realize, you're in the food chain. So be prepared to lose money. It's true. You never invest more than you can afford to lose. And Christians don't know how to do this. When I go out in the food chain... I have on me uh, this little investment that I can afford to lose. And that's how I started, with about $800 into the stock market. Because I didn't want to lose $800. It took me months to gather $800. But if the shark came and bit my hand off and I lost the $800, I could make it back to shore. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurt. But when I have all my eggs in one basket and I think, God bless me, and I put it out there, and then the shark comes in. God doesn't like me, right? That must be what happened is, God, you're mean. 
I lost my house. I've had them in my office. Why didn't God tell me? Tears coming down their eyes. I lost my home. Everything I have, I lost it. Why didn't God warn me? Those tough, tough lessons. So when you go on the offense, you better have your defense built before you get in the food chain. So that would be another subject, another, another reason to come down. I don't, I'm not ready for that. I don't have my tools down yet, but I have had my hand bit off a few times, and I'm speaking from experience. Offensive strategy, I feel like I've beat that down. Creating kingdom wealth, know why you're doing it, what you're aiming at. Why, why is Stephen Donna satelliting mo- or, uh, siloing money? One income large family needs a house in this area. I'll come across that in a minute. And how to trust in the Lord. I think I'll leave those two. It looks like I've got about four left. And I'll try to do that this afternoon. So, Well, you can't blame me for not answering your questions, huh? Praise the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate your patience. For those in the room that are frustrated by my rabbit trails, I apologize. Um, I'd like to stay more on task, but I just love to teach this way. And you do have the manual for this reason. So you can refer back. You can nose your way through. We easily have 30 minutes left, and I can easily get through the topic very quickly. So we're actually right on time. Where I'm at is on page 33. Actually, I'll take you to really quickly to page 31. In your manual, you'll see on the page 31... Really simply, it says total assets minus total debts equals net worth. So if I could just have a show of hands, who did their homework last night or this morning? Okay, excellent. So those who have raised your hands basically welcome into an elite group of people that have an idea of your net worth. Most Most Americans don't. Realize this? They never look. They've not discovered this fact. They don't think about net worth. All they're thinking about is the income statement. And all they're worrying about is, do I have enough money to get to the end of the month? Yes, ma'am. I'll repeat it. Oh, great question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, so let's look on page 30, which is just to the left of where I just had you go. An open debt discussion. So in my normal course, we would be answering these questions. The first one is, is having debt a sin? I'll get to yours next. Uh, No, I don't believe it's a sin. But I believe it is bondage. And a little bit of debt is a little bit of bondage. A lot of debt is a ton of bondage. And so it's if you have debt in your life, um, I just want to release you from condemnation. I, I just want you to have hope. You're not, you're not broken or failed. You're not stigmatized. And I just release you from that in Jesus' name. You just have a condition temporarily where you have an element of bondage in your life. Some of it is small. Some of it is huge. Okay? We don't know. We all look pretty beautiful in here and really cool and elegant. But I know that some of us, by experience, some of us are really in trouble. Okay? So probably someone in here has some really big debt issues. There's a very unpopular thing. It kind of came up yesterday that uh, if I had you in my office, I would delicately walk you through this conversation. So at the risk of being misunderstood, I would encourage everyone that's in that condition of massive debt 
and panic, what do I do to consider the laws wrapped around bankruptcy? Now, the risk of misunderstanding is to hear me say, I believe in bankruptcy. I'm not telling you to go out and bankrupt. I've never done it. I've never been in foreclosure. I don't have that experience. I don't like the idea. I think it, it, it breeds, for some, it breeds entitlement, right? But I also have to have an answer for people that are in my office in absolute disaster. You know, in a triage situation, when you have people that have limbs blown off, sometimes you have to cut off arms to save the body. And I, I am finding myself in that position where I don't want to say things, but I've had to come up with answers. So, at the risk of being misunderstood, what I, what I tell those people in those situations, which is probably no one, probably, hopefully, no one in this room, but I will describe to them the law of Jubilee and how that worked in the Jewish economic system. And that our system is based, whether they like to admit it or not, is based on the Bible. Our legal structure is based on the Bible. And, and our version of that, those rules is the bankruptcy law. Now, it was different for the Jews. They would do it every, six, every cycle, every seven years. And every 70 years, you would have a, basically a jubilee of jubilees. Okay? But we don't have a system like that. We basically all just run and do our thing. And, and if we need to access that kind of an economic reset, we go to the bankruptcy rules. And the, there's a bunch of them. I'll admittedly say I don't understand them very well. But I have a friend, some friends who do. And, um, and what I encourage people to do is go, go understand them. Whatever you decide, do it, do it in confidence, do it in peace, and I'll support you all the way. And by the way, do it intelligently and wisely. Go and understand what you're talking about. If you hate bankruptcy, as I do, go understand why do you hate bankruptcy. If you decide to use a bankruptcy... Go use it and not with guilt. Go figure it out. This is discovery. Okay? So that's the main thing is don't be afraid to look at this stuff. You know, bankruptcy laws are not the devil. So I just want you to, to, to entertain the idea that, well, maybe, maybe I could learn about it. Maybe I could figure out what, are, you know, what is out there. Because the laws are pretty surprising, especially when you think about them, that there was a Jewish component that was... That was uh, an equivalent. So that's, that's probably more than I needed, but is having debt a sin? No, but it is bondage. Number two, if you are current on rent, now we're talking about debts. If you are current on rent, is next month's rent a debt? So, so let's say today, what is this? June, January 18th. And... Um, I owe a rent payment on February 1st, let's say. But I'm doing my balance sheet today. Do I write the February rent payment as a debt? The answer is no, because it's current. If I was a month behind, then yes. You see that? Ooh, I haven't paid January's rent yet, so I have a rent payable and that would go in here. But the current payment, like my cell phone, is the same way. Come February 1st, I owe a cell phone bill. Does that, is that a, a debt? 
It's an obligation, it's a commitment, but it is not behind, so it is not a payable. At the time I take a snapshot, that money isn't due yet. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so you're saying you started the month with no balance and you have gone to the Macy's or whatever and bought $500 in clothing. At that point in time, now it's today, the 18th, does that $500 go down as a debt is her question. Yes, it does. It does. Now, you won't get the statement until next month, but let's say on February 1st. But on February 1st, it will say, you bought $500 18 days ago, it's now due, and we, it's, it's a debt, it's an obligation to pay. You spent it. Yep. Good questions. Okay, so I think that answered your questions back there in the back. Next one, is there such a thing as good debt and bad debt? Why or why not? So for time, I'll just jump to the answer that I think is true. I think... Um, I think bad debt is like a bad beer. If you're an alcoholic, it's a bad beer. If you can't control your consumption, it's bad debt. Donna and I have credit cards. I've got, you know, when I went to Starbucks today, I used my credit card this morning. Um, but we pay the balance off every month. We're sober with debt. So we don't have a problem with debt. You understand? Now, some teachers will disagree strongly, who I greatly respect. Dave Ramsey is the most vocal that I can think of right now. And he's completely anti-debt. All cash. And I believe, I, I, I love that. I can't get there. But the thing is, I haven't lived through what David has. Dave lost everything, I think, twice. And he's been you know, sorely attacked by lenders saying collect collectors. And so when you listen to Dave Ramsey's material, which I have and taught it myself, I highly, I really respect his stuff. But when I, when I study his things, he is like combative against lenders and borrowing. So his advice, take it if you need to, his advice is absolutely no debt. And I would say that's, that's great advice. I don't take it because I don't need to. On, on Dave Ramsey, he would say even on a home mortgage. And those are the boundaries that I simply, I come up against and I go, you know, the truth is when my, college, my, my kids go to school, I made my older son pay his own way and we helped him. And at one point, he got some debt, some student loan. Dave Ramsey, and now I'm putting words in David's mouth and you understand I respect that guy. So I'm not trying to do that. I'm just like, his paradigm would be absolutely not go cash only. There's wisdom in that. But I do take on little pieces of debt. And I pay them off. Okay? Yes, just to expand on that a little bit, though, because Dave, Dave says sometimes it's necessary for your homes to do that. But he also talks about um, with our society, we go out and buy new cars and finance them for five and six years. And, and he's even stronger on that, that there's a lot of people that are driving vehicles that they can't afford. Yeah. Um, the, the, the cars work well, and we can drive them, but we like the shiny one. 
We like the shine element. That's exactly right. And, and the thing is, in defense of David, and I, I don't need to defend him because he's a giant, but the thing is, I think Dave is doing something really important. He is trying to dislodge a mindset in Americans. And so he comes in with a big old bat and hits that thing right across the head. You tell somebody cash only to buy your house and they're like, you know, it communicates. It communi- It speaks. And I love that about David. And so he comes in and he goes, imagine living debt free. And by the way, this is what it looks like. And, ooh, that's kind of hard. Yeah. But on the other end of it, you're completely without bondage. And so, you know, I, I love it. I'm just saying for me, I do think there is, for me, for Steve, there's good debt and bad debt. Bad debt is the stuff that God says pay off. And right now, God's telling Steve and Donna to pay off our home mortgage debt. And he didn't uh, a year ago. Up until a year ago, he, he wasn't saying that. He was saying other things. But right now he's saying it's time to pay off your house. I'm like, okay. And so we're working our way through it, and we'll see how that goes. But that's, that's bad debt now for us. A year ago it wasn't. Yes, ma'am. job to a career where you can actually buy a house yeah things like home and education is the question can that be considered an investment yeah absolutely you know steve and donna so you know this is maybe semantics but i can play this game i can say good debt is leverage feels so much nicer than than debt and uh, leverage lends this idea and this is what steve and donna have done i'd be a hypocrite to tell you we hadn't we bought our house house with leverage. We scraped together, I think it was 15000 or $20,000 once upon a time, and bought a house. It was all the money we had in the world, and yet we ended up with a, about a $100,000 house. $100, house. Yeah. Yeah. This is me giving you financial advice, right? $20,000 for a $100 house. But it's our house, and we own it outright. So... Um, yeah, so we borrowed, you know, if what happens if you buy a $100,000 house and you put 20,000 down? It means you borrowed 80. And we borrowed $80,000 and we bought our first little house, the numbers are rounded, but we bought this little house and so that was leverage. Uh, I, we both went through college and used college loans and you know, and you know, that's an investment, it's an investment in knowledge and uh, theoretically you get out of your college and you go find gainful employment so you're now you're now gaining return and the income is so much better than working at Taco Bell that I'm able to get a better return on my investment so it's totally investment um, there's more to say around that but there was one point I wanted to make let's see ah, I lost it no. no those are all things to talk about but there's some point oh well I'll have to let it go. Um, okay, I think I'll let that go. If I think of it, I'll say it. But um, we are talking about good debt or bad debt. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation around it. And for me, the, bound, the, the bright line distinction between the two is what's Papa's telling me to do. And he told me, go after that. Remember that second mortgage? He told me, go after that. That became bad debt. Um, a day before he told me that, that was good debt. 
because I was using it to borrow out at six and pay at ten. Or I borrowed, I'm paying at six and I'm receiving back at ten percent, right? When he said pay it off, it became bad debt and we went after it. When we got that paid off, I said, God, do you want me to pay off the house? He said, no, I want you to mount, I want you to build an emergency fund. So he shifted our gears. And uh, somebody want to get that phone? All right, I'm going to, we are tearing through this material. I'm going to take you to, um, let me see. Let me take you to page 40. Page 40. This will, this we're now starting into the next section. Um, it'll move really quickly. These examples I wrote on the board fit right in. This is a balance sheet. Oh man, I didn't finish my potted plant syndrome. Well, it's in the manual. What page? Uh, I'll get to it in this afternoon, and I don't remember the page right now, but, I, but we will get there. You'll see a little potted plant. It's in the margin. Easy. So I'm going to imagine here, let's just take, for example, this guy has a $100,000 house and a $100,000 mortgage. How much equity does he have? His net worth is zero, isn't it? Let's pretend this person also has a car that he bought for 10000 bucks. But he had to borrow uh, $10,000 to do it. So how much equity does he have in his car? Zero. So this guy's net worth is not looking too good. Although he's got a lot of stuff around. Let's say he has $1,000 in the bank. But he drove to Pleasanton and forgot all of his clothes at home, so he had to go out shopping. <laughs> so he put $1,000 on the credit card. So how much net worth does this person have? Zero. Excellent. So that was all of yesterday's session. Now you're looking at a page, example A on page 40. And oddly enough, you see the same numbers. 111 is his total assets and 111 is his total debts. And this theoretically is the same numbers as on your sheets that you guys all did on your balance sheet last night or this morning. Okay, So we're kind of drawing a parallel here. Your numbers are obviously different. But what happens on this, this example A? This guy was just part of this conversation that we just had about debt. And he thinks, I think Dave, Runyon's, Dave, Dave Ramsey's right and Steve DeSilva's full of baloney. So, and he gets up and walks out right now and goes off and he says, I feel a fire in my bones to get rid of this credit card debt. This credit card debt, how much credit card debt does this person have? thousand bucks. And he is like freaking out about this debt. He can't sleep and he decides to go commando. Fortunately for him, he has a thousand dollars of cash. So what does he do? He takes his cash and he goes down and pays off the visa bill for a thousand bucks. So immediately after, it looks like your example on the right. And cash now is zero. Everything else is the same. His total assets are $100,000. But his credit card is zero now. He paid it off, right? 110, thank you. And down here, he still has the debt on the car loan. He still has the mortgage. 
His liabilities are 110000 How much has his net worth changed? Nothing. Okay, so there's a, there's a lesson in that. What this person was doing was kind of, a, kind of a guilt offering, perhaps. He was like, I'm nervous about this is bugging me. I've got $1,000 in the bank, and it's earning 1.00001% interest a year. So you have to divide by 12. That's what he's getting monthly. But his credit card is charging him, let's say, 18% a month. So he's like, I, this is crazy. And he takes all of his cash, and he pounds out his, his uh, debt. Now, the question is, was that a good move or not? Okay? So from an interest perspective, interest rates, it makes sense. But the problem is, this guy has no cash, nothing liquid. So he is still kicking his little flippers out through the middle of the ocean. He's vulnerable to a shark bite. Because he doesn't have any credit card debt, and he can celebrate that. But the problem is, he also doesn't have any insurance, any bumper, if he bumps into something. So what he says is, he says, I feel better because I'm debt-free. And then the next morning, he wakes up and he goes, oh my God, I hope nothing goes wrong. Because if it does, he's right back in debt. He hasn't broken the cycle yet. You see that? So I'm not saying it was a bad move. I'm just saying two things. Observe that. Number one, moving things around on the balance sheet does not affect your net worth in the short run. It didn't improve his altitude any in the short run. And secondarily, he made himself vulnerable because he emptied his emergency fund. And an emergency fund is like the bumper on a car or an airbag in a car. When you hit something, it deploys and hopefully keeps us from getting injured. What that means is, if he still had the $1,000 cash and something happened that he didn't expect, he would use his cash to pay the unexpected and he would not go deeper in debt. So your emergency fund becomes your cycle breaker. Does that make sense? Okay. So example B on the right. Let's look at that real quick. This is a little different. His cash has gone up. From 1000 to 2000 his credit card did not change. His net worth went up. So what happened? This one's a different scenario. He didn't use, he didn't, he didn't change from balance sheet to balance sheet item. That's an, that's an important step, but understand, that's in the, that kind of a move is an efficiency move, and that happens later when we're trying to create and protect wealth. What he's, what this person did here, inadvertently made himself vulnerable. In example B, something happened. New money came into the scene, didn't it? Somehow, another $1,000 appeared. It injected into the system, and all of a sudden, look at his net worth. His net worth gained altitude. Huh. Where did that come from? It came from his economic motor. So now we're saying that's the purpose of the income statement. Remember the two, the two balance sheet and the income statement working together. We finally see what the income statement does. It injects new money onto your balance sheet. Now this particular person decided to take that new money, say thank you very much, and 
he decided, where do I put it on my balance sheet? Where do I do? He has a choice. I could pay off debt, or I could put it in the bank. This particular person decided, I'm going to build a bigger emergency fund. Does that make sense? So, this is a guy. I'm making this part up. Let's turn the page, and his sister has a little different opinion. She's running around, and she has the same economic motor. How do you know? Because her net worth climbed. It jumped by 1000 bucks. What did she do? Oh, she got the same $1,000, but where did she put it? Can you read it on your financials? She paid down her credit card, didn't she? She decided, I would rather get rid of an 18% interest rate than build on a .0000001 interest rate return on my savings. Okay, so just on the surface, if this is all the facts, is one wiser than the other? Yeah, you know, we can, I can give you answers there, but I want you to grind on that thing and, and wrestle with that a little bit. Because here's the thing. It's always smarter to pay down an 18% interest rate than build up a .00001% return unless that .00001% return can prevent you from getting deeper into an 18%. You see what I mean? With these little tiny numbers, I would propose that example B is stronger, a stronger short-term plan than example C. Now, if these numbers were bigger, I would say example C is better because theoretically the numbers are bigger there's already a big enough emergency fund to absorb the hits. You follow me? So we're talking about someone who's, this is probably um, a, a young couple just starting out and they're just trying to get some elevation. They're just starting to get some altitude in their airplane, in their piloting. And, and they're asking me, what do I do? My advice is, number one, discover. Good job, you did that because you got your balance sheets, you know what your net worth is. What's number two? Rule of holes? That means you're living within your means. That's where the $1,000 came from. Good job. You're living within your means, and we're going to spend the rest of today talking about living within your means. Third thing is become the bank, and I would say build your emergency fund. So if you're in this scenario and you're thinking, oh, my God, I hope Steve finally tells me what in the heck am I supposed to do, my answer is, Number one, are you discovering? Yeah, we did, took care of that yesterday. Number two, are you going to live within your means? That's where we'll shift here shortly to living, giving, saving and how that whole mechanic works. And when you live within your means and your economic motor is turning and spilling out money, new money comes to your balance sheet, what do you do? Step three, you become the bank. You build yourself an emergency fund because you're going to need bumpers. Because the truth is, Life is really messy. I don't know if you know this or not. But it is a messy ordeal. And, uh, you know, even our best plans. How many of us planned to marry that person you're married to right now? Since we were little. We maybe planned to get married, but I'll bet you it wasn't that person. It's like this, life is this unexpected journey. Uh, we perceive in our lives that life is a straight line. And you know what? It's not. It's this herky-jerky, crazy, wild three-dimensional ride and so what you what you do 
in this plan is you, you need to instill a priority of protection. I was in the chapel praying early on in this message, uh, early on in this material. And I was asking God, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do you want me to do next? And he kept doing at the time this thing about what if you would tithe 11%. Remember that message, that part? What if 12? What if 13? Um, and, then, and then he was telling me things like, I want you, how much bondage are you willing to live with? And I was like, oh, none. So I went after that debt. I got the debt paid off, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm thinking he's going to say, pay off the house. And he says, no, I want you to save. And I said, okay. So I started saving, and now I'm praying, God, where do you, what, what, is, what do I do with this money? I mean, I have amassed $400. God, what do you want me to do with it? You know, I'm feeling pretty bad with my 400 bucks. And, uh, it's, you know, and so I'm like, where do I invest? Where do I invest? And he says, a simple word, he says, protect. So somewhere in your brain, I want you to put a high priority on this idea of protect. What does that mean? That was my question. What does that mean? So I don't know what it means. So I start mining what that means for Steve. Because it's the glory of God to hide a matter and it's the glory of kings to seek it out. And so I'm in there digging away. What does it mean to protect? So I go and I look at all my insurance things that I have. And I, I do a bunch of protection in my insurance. My life insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, 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 car insurance, 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 on insurance. I have everything. I don't know. So I just did that. I'm just telling you this is what I did. When I got all that done, I think, what do I do now? And I believe God begins to tell me, remember this pattern, this up and down? He said, learn how to how to flatten out these dips. Learn how to carry. Because when you learn how to carry, this, this shape, this pattern, this wave pattern begins to look like this. And it's fun for us. I blocked it for you. More like a staircase. It looks more like what we see in Scripture from glory to glory or a kingdom that knows no end or no decrease. Okay? So protect is really, really key. And so I learned about Jeopardy money. You don't risk. This is exactly where we've been talking this morning. You don't risk more than you can afford to lose. You only invest in things you can explain to your wife. That she would understand it enough to go, that sounds like you know what you're talking about, and I think that's a good idea. Um, you, you invest in things you understand, which we'll call the home field advantage. You, um, you begin to look, and how do I get in front of the puck? Okay. These, these are all ideas on how to carry and what I, what I am interpreting as protect. You guys can find your own interpretations. Go sit in Papa's presence and listen. What's he saying? I think this. Okay? Now what we'll do, because it's 12.15, we're going to take our break, which I hate to, but you guys probably have to pee. <laughs> so I'm going to... I'm going to... Um, Can I have five more minutes? If you need to pee, go. But if you can wait, I'm going to do five minutes. Because this last illustration, so, you know, who's going to be the only one to stand up and walk out right now? <laughs> You're in bondage. You guys are awesome. My last illustration, this will take me probably four minutes, and I ask for five. Man, that's easy.
cankers. So here's, remember my potted plant? Here's the pot. And Steve Silva and Donna De Silva live inside this pot. And this is our net worth. Now, you know how to calculate that, don't you? Because you have it on your balance sheet. So what's interesting is the only way to get a change on the examples B and C was for new money to come in. And new money comes in, and in this in the cases we saw, this person grew. That, so this is before, then this is after, and it grew by $1,000 bigger. The economic motor is turning in here. What's an economic motor? That's your job. That's your little program you've built in your life. Steve De Silva and Donna, we have jobs. That's an economic motor. Here's a job, and it's turning. I have a job, and Donna has a job. Two little motors. And we take that money, and it comes into our life, and we use it on hair care and, you know, all these things. And so when this money comes in, it's like you can imagine there's a funnel right here. And the fact that it looks like a face is fun. I didn't plan that. But this is supposed to be a funnel. It didn't look like a funnel. Here's a funnel. And uh, Steve and Donna decide, we're going to write a book. So Steve writes a book, and Donna writes a book. I say it's a little motor because it has its own little income every time it sells a book and its own little expenses. I have to buy the books to get them to sell. So it's like a little economic system going on. You get it? And Donna has a book, and Donna has some audio recordings, and Steve has some audio recordings. And, and uh, we run around and speak like this, and sometimes we get paid, which is fun. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> That's all good. That's another matter. But we have these multiple motors. You ever heard the phrase multiple streams of income? That's what you have here. Some of these are active incomes. Some of these are passive. If I have time, we'll talk about that. But I don't need to because you can read it better said in a book called Cash Flow Quadrant by author named Robert Kiyosaki which, by the way, has some bones in it. So I'm not saying I love Robert Kiyosaki. I'm just saying there's some great ideas in that book. Passive and active. So all of these multi-streams are coming into this. You see it? They're all spilling in. But there's a thick part of the funnel, a skinny part, and then a little thing dripping out on the bottom. The thick part is my living expenses. Everything it costs for Steve and Donna to live. And you know what? We get to design it however we want. You do. You get to design your life. Nobody gets to guilt me into how I should live. And you get to do the same. This is me in Papa's presence telling you, telling me, this is how I want you to live. You know what? I don't want you to have that bigger car. I think you should do this instead. Okay, Dad. Or I do want you to have that bigger car. Whatever. Go do that. Go do that work with your own daddy. Okay? But living is the biggest part of the funnel. It, most of my life is spent there. Most of the money is spent in living. Then there's a second category called giving. That's the skinny part of the funnel. And the thing that's dripping out is savings. Living, giving, and saving. It's what drips out of our life. Now, priority one is, is giving. Steve and Donna live our life based on, we orient, what do we want to give this year? Why do we do that? Because God said, what would happen if? And so we start at 11% and then 12%. 13. And he kept saying, how about 14? Before he went to 14, you know what he said? He said, what would happen if you matched your savings with your giving? I'm going to run out of money. 
is what I said. So it took us years and years to get to that point. And this is what we're going to do. We're at a point now in our life. This is not a boast. This is just an illustration. I'll draw this on the map on the board when we get back. This living, giving, saving history that we went through in our life. We're going to look at some interesting dynamics. What an American looks like. What an atheist looks like. What a Christian in a American Christian looks like. What uh, what I say is kind of a first base or a first place to get to looks like. Where you could be headed in your life. It's the plan that I've been threatening you with this whole time. That's what we're going to do when we come back. Because my last comment, when all is said and done, remember my little bucket here and my bucket here, and it grew by $1,000, and my motors, all of this stuff is this little motor turning right here. The only thing that grows your net worth is this category right here, savings. So priority one is build your life around your, this is my suggestion, that you will hear more about when we come back. Build your life around giving. That dictates your savings goal. Live on the rest. And it might be hard to reach, so that's what you work toward. And it's, we've been married 33 years, and so we've been working at it for a long time. Okay? So permission granted to be slow. But there we go. I'm past my minutes. Is there any announcements? Okay. All right. That was awesome. Thank you, Stephen. You guys okay? So a couple things. First of all, these brightly colored red, um, what what would these be, bucket things? This is for tubs for offering for, just to bless um, Stephen. So um, I guess from his earlier thing, if if he's sowing some bean and you're a bean person. Then um, please, you know, we, we really do like to bless um, these amazing people and Stephen and Donna keep coming and keep pouring into us. And, you know, I'm not, I know they don't do it for the money. Like they, that's not their primary purpose. But I do know that as we bless people, they're like, wow, you guys really appreciate us. Thanks. We'd love to come back. So anyway, please do be part of blessing them. Um, and checks to Blazing Fire Church. Um, and the reason why I'm putting them out now is because I know a few of you Probably won't be back in the afternoon. Different people pick different parts of this. What else? Oh, some of you. Someone asked me. Um, I need is, oh, I was wondering where do you want that? The survey. Just put them in the middle, and I'll grab them. Okay, so put the surveys towards the middle on the floor, and they'll grab them. Uh, somebody was just asking me, um, do you have heat going on in this place? Believe it or not, in the two hours we've been here, it's gone from fifty-one to fifty-nine degrees in here. Wasn't Steve talking about slow and steady, you know?